Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. may come as no surprise, but we'll find the reading in Scripture this morning from the book of Luke, chapter number two. I know I said it earlier, but I sincerely mean it. I appreciate you being here today. Some of you are thinking, well, why wouldn't we be here? And then some people are thinking, well, it was a special, um, I had to make a special trip to church, so I hope that you're grateful. And some of you are probably in that crowd over there a little bit disturbed that mom or dad made you come, (laughs) and you've got something screaming your name at home right now. Why aren't you here playing with me? (laughs) And um, some are so mad. No, I don't know. Maybe they're not mad that it's 25 degrees and they can't go outside and play but for three minutes at a time without getting frostbite. (laughs) One of them sitting right over there. He helped me for about eight minutes yesterday and we thought we were going to have to amputate his phalanges. (laughs) He'd never been exposed to such extreme conditions. have a little rocket heater that's shooting out fire, and he puts his hands to it and says, it burns as it's fire, <laughs> and your hands are in the fire, basically. Let's back away a few feet, but um, it is the Lord's Day. It is great to be here with friends and family and believers to celebrate his birth. Was he born on December 25th? Don't know. Probably not. Who cares? Did Mary know? Don't know, who cares? Still a good song. Everyone's still amazed that Mark Lowry could come up with words like that. We think he uh, pulled a Milli Vanilli in songwriting there. But um, either way, it's a good song. It's only second in Christmas songs to my biblical favorite, The Little Drummer Boy. But um, thank you, Barry, for singing that song. Luke chapter two, let's stand as we honor God's word because it is the story of his birth, one of two narratives in the gospels, Matthew and then Luke. I wanna read all 17 verses. Follow along with me and read it out loud if you want to, if it makes you feel more Christmassy. But let's read it not as just some nursery rhyme, some fairy tale that we are used to, but read it as what it is, the gospel. It is the truth. This is not some fabricated, made-up story. This is a historical, even documented account of the birth of Jesus. And it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Some things never change. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of 
the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. The, which the Lord has promised or made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Father, thank you again for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for blessing us. No doubt, the majority of people in this room, those watching, can honestly say we have more than we ever imagined. We certainly have more than we ever deserved. And we understand that every good and perfect gift comes from you. No matter what it took, for us to receive the things we have. Everything belongs to you, and everything we have was given to us by you. And God, in this moment, may we express our gratitude to you for the abundance that we have. Remind us how blessed we are. But above all, remind us the greatest gift that's ever been given was salvation, grace, our undeserved favor given by you because you love us. And God, may you be honored and glorified in this service today and every word that's preached. And we'll be grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. My attempt is to give everyone a present today, and let's get out by 1130. How about that? <laughs> That'll be my Christmas present to you. I want us to look in this Luke 2 narrative, and then flip over at the end in Matthew, and make this as simple as possible to see three different recipients, if you will, personalities, people, 
groups of people that received the message of the good news that Jesus was born. And when we look at those three, for us to, to learn a lesson from each one of them of how we can live our lives practically today. I read Luke chapter two, we just read it together, and it is almost to the point of Mary, did you know it's interesting just to think what was going through their minds. Over the last few weeks, I have preached three different messages about the fact that the king was coming. He's on his way. We heard from Mary, we've heard from Joseph, Last week, the prophetic announcements over the centuries and the hundreds of fulfilled prophecies. And to think especially or specifically the shepherds, how they had known, how they had been told, how they had been read to. I like to think of Bible stories that were told to little shepherd boys by their parents, talking about the Messiah. The king is coming. The Messiah is coming. And just imagine them on the, the hillside watching their sheep. And suddenly the angel of the Lord appearing. Colossians talks about uh, at, the, at the right time, at the perfect time, in the fullness of time, the King James says, at the right time, Jesus came. And to be a shepherd on a hillside minding your own business, doing your job, and the angel of the Lord show up and say, I got some good news. Today is the day. In the city of David, in Bethlehem, this Messiah, this Savior has been born. Come check it out. And we read it, and we read it, and we hear it in Charlie Brown, and we're just like, oh, Luke chapter two, let's say it together. Oh, it's great, we love it. It looks good on the card. But imagine these people receiving the news that he has come. So today I want us to look at the reality, not of the king is coming, but that the king is here. And first, in our text, I want us to look at the angels and what I would like to call the adoration of the angels. In verse 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. I want us to focus on the adoration or the praising by the angels. That phrase, praising God, is an interesting uh, an expression. We think of praising God, and, and many of us, I, I was actually reading through this late last night, and I thought, you know how, and I kind of joke about it at times, how we all praise God differently. We all worship differently. Even denominationally, we worship differently. Uh, even especially within a Baptist church like this that has a, a long lineage, if you will, of heritage, uh, uh, some old timers and some uh, young new timers and a mix, a, he a healthy balanced mix of all. Uh, some come from a little more, I don't know, scared to say this, charismatic background. Some come from a more dignified background. Some shout, some cry, some mumble, some just look stoically into the distance and we don't know what they're thinking. Some of you look like you're mad 
that you're here, and then you come up afterwards and say, that was the greatest message ever. I was like, I thought you were ticked the whole time. How did this work out? And I'm one of those who do that, by the way. People are like, I find myself when I'm the most intrigued, I'm like this. I'm like, Oh, they probably don't think that looks good. They probably, I probably I shouldn't do that because now they're sitting, oh, look at him being so judgmental sitting there with his arms crossed. I'm like just taking it all in. <laughs> Praise God. That phrase, and, and to think that the angels created beings of God, not with souls that can be saved or need to be saved, are praising God at his announcement at the birth of Jesus. That word praise means to, to, to laud or laudation. It's, here's what I want us to understand. It's a commendation. And so when you think about an angel praising God or the uh, adoration of the angels and, and the lessons that we learn, we, I want us to think practically or apply practically that we should adore him, adore Jesus, for he is God. We say that and praise him because he's God. Like, what does that mean? He's God. Praise him. Well, that's kind of what it means. But what I want us to see really quickly is we praise God, we praise Jesus because he is God. We've talked the last couple of weeks about him, the divinity of God, that, of Jesus, that he is God. He's not like God. He's not cousins with God. He is God. Can I explain it? No. Other than biblically speaking, he is God. Is he man? Yes. Is he man and God? Yes. Can I give you an example? No. I'd like to tell you an example of what I heard this weekend, and I watched it, and I didn't like it because someone tried to give an example, and they failed miserably because every time you tried to give an example of how Jesus is God, but yet he's separate, you fail. And this person failed miserably, and he shouldn't have, and I'm upset about it, but I can't do anything about it. It's been done. Hopefully it doesn't hurt anybody's feelings but mine. We adore him because he is God. The psalmist said in Psalm 150, verse six, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. They're praising God in Luke chapter two. They, they said glory to God. And if you don't hear anything else, pay attention to this part. The reason we praise God is because he is God it's not saying, um, praise God because he's done this. Praise God because he's done that. Praise God because he's good. We can do that. That's not wrong. But this praising of God is praising God because he is God. I read something, and I love it. I wish I could take credit for it. Um, giving glory or praise to God does not give him something he otherwise lacks. God is praised whether we praise him or not. God is glorified whether we glorify him or not. He's not waiting on us to praise him, to make him God. He's God and worthy of praise regardless of whether you praise him or not. Jesus himself said, hey, if you don't, the rocks will cry out. Because he's God. He is sovereign God. So when we praise God, we're not giving him something he doesn't have. Rather, it's a confession of the wondrous glory he already possesses. It's a commendation. It's us acknowledging that he is praiseworthy. So even when things are going bad, we still praise him. 
Even when we didn't get what we asked for on Christmas morning, we praise God anyway. Even when we get the phone call or the bad news or the bad health report, we praise God. Not because thank you God for cancer, but praise you God because you are God and you're worthy of praise, regardless of my circumstances. This is what the angels were doing. They were glorifying God. So let's praise him because he's God and let's praise him because he's good. Now I want you to hear this um, because I, I learned something this week, I think. In verse 14 of this text, they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And that's a, I didn't realize how theological that was until this week. Now I don't wanna ruin your Christmas, but God likes theology. And when I read uh, um, an announcement of the angels that I've read forever and ever and ever, and just kind of like, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And then I learned that God kind of knew what he was doing, and the angels knew what they were doing when they made a gospel proclamation in the announcement of the birth of Jesus. That kind of makes me go, God was up to something. He kind of knew what he was doing from the beginning. I didn't know he was that smart. But he did. He was up to something. The angels knew it. The angels knew they were announcing the gospel when they said, he's here. The king is here. Goodwill, this phrase, is not, and, and I, once again, I don't want to ruin your Christmas. This is not goodwill toward all men, peace to all men. Everybody's, he's here, his kingdom is here, and there will be peace on earth from this point on. You don't have to go to Bible college to figure that out. If you woke up this morning and you had kids in your house, you probably figured out peace wasn't here to stay at the birth of Jesus. <laughs> Although it's a little more peaceful when the blessings are flowing, right? It's crazy how they just suddenly morph into great children within hours of present time. Not that they're terrible. I'm not talking about my kids. I'm talking about everybody else's kids. I'm just saying, it's, it's funny how they morph. They, they start to, oh, getting kind of close to present time. I think I'll start acting like I got some sense. Sometimes it's the morning before. And by the way, you may pull that, Santa Claus is watching you, and you may creep them out. But I like to follow that up with, but mom and dad is, and God is. So act like you got some sense. Obviously, peace on earth, goodwill toward men did not mean that when Jesus was born, peace would baptize the world and there would be no more war, no more sin, no more strife, no more confrontation. Once again, I don't need another Bible verse to prove that. We just need competency to understand this. So what is, what is the angel, or what are the angels saying in this announcement? This goodwill toward men speaks of, this goodwill speaks of the sovereignty of God. Now this is a 30-minute sermon that I'm, this point that I'm fitting into a 30-minute sermon, so I'm not gonna elaborate too much. Goodwill toward men speaks of the sovereignty of God that he would express, that he would demonstrate, that he would show 
his good will, his sovereign good will to mankind. A better, maybe, way to say it in English would be, in our language would be, goodwill toward men would sound something like this. Peace toward men on whom God's sovereign pleasure rests. And it makes more sense when we understand the sovereignty and the gospel message in peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Because God is sovereign in salvation, and this was the purpose of Jesus, to save us from our sin. Romans chapter two, Paul tells us that it's the goodness of the Lord, it's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. This goodness is not gifts, we talked about that. The goodness is, if it's a gift, it's the gift of patience, it's the, the gift of long-suffering, it's the gift of grace, it's the gift of mercy, that God would allow you another day to reject him, another day to accept him. That's the goodness of God. God is good, and he's good toward all men. He has been good toward all men. See, we in, in our finite minds, we think, well, God was better to that person than he was to this person, or God was better to him than he was to me, because we're looking at the goodness of God in stuff, in things, in things we can uh, quantify. But the goodness of God is equally delivered to all men because all men have sinned and all men need to repent and all men need to be saved. So every day, every day, unbeliever, that you reject Christ is a gift of God that he's allowed you another opportunity. Though Jesus offers peace, the state of the world makes it very clear that the world is not at peace. In Luke chapter 12, I, I, I always come back to this in my mind, this passage, because I think, it's where, I think it's where we are starting to be as a country, as believers, and I think it's where we're headed in a, a very measurable way in the future. In Luke chapter 12, you don't have to turn there. In verses 51 through 53, Jesus is teaching disciples. He's got, this, he's got people around, you know, they're always watching, trying to take notes to see if he messes up. And he says this, you suppose that I came to bring peace on earth. He says, no, rather division. So how does, how does, how does this passage go along with Luke chapter two? I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus says to disciples, to believers, to those following him in Luke chapter 12, you think that I came to give peace on earth. Well, yeah, the song says it. The Luke chapter two says it. Yeah, that's what it says, and it does. But he says, no, rather division. For from this point on, he says, there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Why? When there's peace on earth. No, because this comes together when we understand that only those who have accepted the free gift of salvation ever experiences the peace on earth that in God's sovereignty he offered. So when you have a house and there's five people in it and three have accepted the peace on earth, sovereignty, salvation of the Lord, and two haven't, you don't have peace in the, in the house. You have division. 
This is proof that Jesus came to offer peace, but everybody didn't accept it. But it's been offered. And from that point on, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, and it's only escalating. And it's getting outside the house. There's more than one reason why in-laws don't get along. Jesus talked about it in Luke chapter 12. But it's getting outside of the house and the family. It's getting into the workplace. It's getting into the school. It's getting into Walmart. It's getting in wherever you go because the more the lack of peace is accelerated here on earth, the more division there will be between those who have received peace and those who have not received peace. The reality is he offers peace on earth, but only those who've accepted Christ receive peace. Adoration of the angels. Then let's look in verse 15 at the searching of the shepherds. May we praise God like the angels did because he's God, because he's good. So what did the shepherds do? They were searching. In verse 15, it came to pass as the angels were going away, they announced it. Jesus is here. Here's how you'll find him. The shepherds said to one another, let us now go even into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So we see the adoration of the angels and we're gonna see the searching of the shepherds. And here's our lesson, to search God's word. As the year winds down, you're thinking about a new year. Many people are thinking about fitting into some clothes that you can't fit in anymore, getting in shape, eating better. Somebody else throw one out. All those things that we're going to do better, save money. Those are the top ones. We're going to save money so you can't save money and go on a diet and eat right, right? Y'all figured that out. They've got a a corner on the market. I mean, you can't do it. $129 a month, you can eat right and not save money. Or go to the grocery store and you're $500 worth of health food. But you could have paid $150 for Doritos and bologna. So we're thinking about what to do in the new year. Here's the challenge as the shepherds search the word of God. As the shepherds were searching for the baby, I'm making a point here, may we be men and women of God who search God's word. After the shepherds received God's message, remember an angelic message was a message of the Lord. They're a messenger from the Lord. So it's the shepherds received God's word. What did they do? They did something with it. They heard from God. This is how you'll find him. Not a star, that was for somebody else. But you'll find a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Um, they had to look for that. Now, I, don't, I don't wanna write a new song, but we don't know how they found Jesus. They weren't the ones following the star with the, the beam going down saying, fuck, come here, he's here. They were to look in a manger, in a stable, in a cave, in a manger for a baby. It's not something you see every day, but that's what they were told to look for. I could preach this out a lot better, but sometimes when we read God's word, he, he illuminates things and tells us to look for something or to plan for something or to expect something that we wouldn't normally expect. But if unless we read or unless we responded to his word, we would never have known it. And so they, hey, you'll find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Here's the message. They could have said, wow, that was weird. 
Let's go back to sleep. That was odd. No, but they were expecting a Messiah. Maybe not that week. Might have been a lot like us. We're expecting him to return, but we weren't expecting him when he announced it. And so they sat around and thought, you know what, should we do this or not? I don't know what this looked like. But they heard the word of God and they responded to the word of God and they went and found Jesus in a manger. God still speaks and he speaks through his word. People are looking, people are asking, people are searching more and more every day to hear from God. And it's usually as close to us as a room away or a few footsteps away in most every home in America. And people are looking all over for God. God, speak to me. I'm gonna watch this preacher. I'm gonna send this $5. I'm gonna get this prayer cloth. I'm gonna order this or whatever. I wanna hear from God. Or they go to the preacher. Or they go to the priest. Or they go to somebody they expect to hear from God when we can all hear from God. Search his word. Search the word of God. Jeremiah, the prophet said, seek me and find me. And you'll seek and find when you shall search for me with all your heart. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. So just as the shepherds were searching for baby Jesus based on the word of God, may we be searching in God's word. May we also search not only God's word, but search God's will. It's a universal question. I remember... As a teenager, I remember going to college, Bible college. Every time they had somebody come in to preach kind of a evangelistic or spiritual emphasis, the question of all questions or the, the subject matter was, what is the will of God for your life? People want to know, what's the will of God for my life? I've got a little sermonette that I've preached before, and I'm not going to preach it now, but I do believe the will of God for your life is salvation and service. I believe God wants the world to be saved. I believe he offered the gift of salvation to the world. Do I believe the world will be saved? No. Do I believe everybody will accept? No. Well, I believe there will be peace on earth, not until he comes and sets up his kingdom, because there will be division, because people, but I believe God's will, God's desire is for the world to have access to his gift of salvation. And I believe once you get saved, he has a will for your life to serve him. That doesn't mean you got to be a preacher or a missionary or a deacon or whatever special line of service. I believe when you get saved, God expects you to serve him. No matter what you're doing, you're salt and light wherever you go and you're serving him. You're his messenger. You're his worker. That's God's will, but the question is always, what's God's will for my life? And I just kind of answered it in very generic terms, but may we, like the shepherds, not just search God in his word, but search God's will for our life, which we can find in God's word. He speaks to us through his word. By responding to God's word, the shepherds found the Messiah. When we respond God to God's word, we will find his will for our life. I think it's interesting, and, and I say that, and I preach it that way, and as a youth pastor, I used to teach it that way, and 
talk to teenagers and say, hey, here's God's will. You're like, I just don't know if it's God's will for me to marry him. He's like, well, read his word. And then their response is, is it gonna say, marry Bill? Or you know, something like that, no. Or for us adults, for us grown-ups who are way past that, sim- that simplicity and immaturity, should I take this job? Is this of God or is this not? Read his word. Do you want him to speak to you or not? That's the question. And I'm talking to myself. Do I do this? Do I do that? Well, read his word. Let him talk to you. Well, is it going to say, yes, thou shalt taketh that job? No. But God will speak to us through his word. And through his word is where we find his will. Think about it, and, and I, I get kind of aggravated with this, to be honest, and even with myself, because we look everywhere for answers. Do we not? Let's be honest. It's Christmas. Let's be at least honest on Christmas Day in church. We look everywhere for answers. We look everywhere for justification. We look everywhere for a sign. I get nervous when people start talking about signs. Isn't it funny when people say, I literally saw a sign that said, just do it. And I think that was God speaking to me. No, that was Nike saying, buy them. (laughs) Buy them all. It's Christmas. Spend it. Let's don't be those people that are looking for a sign. God did used to speak in signs and wonders. But now God speaks through his completed word. This is him. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 14 of John chapter one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was Jesus. This is his word, this is Jesus. You want him to talk to you, then open it up and let him talk to you. Search him, search his will, search his word. The shepherds actually responded to the word of the Lord, and imagine the stories they could tell later to their grandkids. So that's a little different. Some, some of you skeptics, I can feel it coming back. Well, if an angel of the Lord showed up, I would probably listen. Well, if he does, I might wanna hear that story, but I'm not gonna believe you. And I'm not trying to be mean, but what if we put, now, what I just said was true. Y'all know those people that love the angels. They're all over the house right now. They're creepy. They're beautiful. Do you know there's angels on each side of you right now? Oh yeah, I do. I love them. (laughs) There are people, and I don't mean this being disrespectful, and if you love angels, that's between you and God. Um, My mom was one of them. We've talked about it. And the creepy, creepy angel on top of the tree <laughs> that's wings would move in the wee hours of the night and scare the life out of you. And I'd unplug it. She'd find out. Who unplugged this angel? God. He doesn't like it. No, I don't know. <laughs> there are some people that would be, I don't say some people, that might t- somebody might take that personal. There are people that would rather hear from an angel 
And they would put more emphasis in their life on hearing from an angel than hearing from God. All the time, anytime. What if we, what if we, just, just throwing out there, what if we would put as much stock in hearing from God in his word as the shepherds put into hearing from God from the angels? The fascination of it, the response, and this, this is going to sound kind of preachy, but what if we read God's word and he spoke to us and told us to do something a little different than we've ever done before? Now, that's a little bit out of my comfort zone. I don't know if I should do that or not. I'm a little scared to do that. What if we read and heard from God and he said, do this, do that, do something different. This sounds a little weird, but I want you to do it. And we were able to experience something that we never would have experienced if we wouldn't have obeyed his word. Like meeting Jesus, baby Jesus. Searching shepherds, adoring angels. And then I'm gonna flip over to Matthew 2 and look at the worship of the wise men. In Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, I didn't make 1130, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from Jerusalem, from east to Jerusalem, saying, where is, I want you to listen, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we're come to worship him. That throws another question. So now we got married, did you know? And then we got, did the wise men know what they were doing? Y'all get these figured out. Wise men from the east, they had been watching, they'd been looking, they'd been expecting, and they were ready when they found what they were looking for to worship him. Now, I don't know all the intricacies of the wise men's belief and whether they were God followers or not, but I've got a sneaky suspicion, at least a couple of them were looking for the Messiah, the real Messiah. They, were, they understood the prophecies. And I think they were ready, gifts in hand, for when that Messiah came. And so these wise men said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We've seen a star. By the way, they're talking to Herod. That's a whole different fun story there. He was something. We want to worship him. This word worship, when we think of the worship of the wise men, I'm concluding with this because this is really the highlight of what we're doing here today. What we do in our everyday life as a believer today is really a, a magnification of the celebration and worship of Jesus. This word worship in Matthew 2, verse 2, means to kiss. I've got, a, I've got a Hebrew, Greek dictionary, lexicon, the whole fun thing. And it actually uses the example. It says, worship, this word worship means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. Not because there's a treat on it or residue from turkey. Just because he loves his master and he's adoring, he's worshiping his master. As one, as a dog who licks his master's hand. This word is the word to kiss, but it's the word worship, and it, and it actually has a physical form to it, which is, uh, speaks of posture. 
It means to prostrate oneself in homage or reverence to adore. These wise men said, where is he that's born? We've come to worship him. Now I could get off a little tangent right here and try not to too far. We all worship in different ways. We all praise in different ways. But, but I, w- I want to say this because we're all different. And I'm one that's different. Somebody say amen. You are different. I'm different. We worship differently. But our worship should be obvious. Because it affects us. Now, I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to hurt a feeling in some generations today. But, but I, 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 oh, this is Christmas. I'm so, I, like, I like the idea of an altar. Um, I made a lot of decisions for God at an altar. Now, I'm, I'm not a Pharisee, so I'm not traditionalist. Put the, put the altar in your bylaws. <laughs> if they don't get saved at the altar, they ain't got it. Now, I'm not doing that. Not, nobody read into what I'm saying. But when we worship even when we make a decision, when we make a decision under conviction of God, not just the decision of salvation, but the decision to service, that's a form of worship. It's a form of prostration. It's a, it's a form of uh, reconfiguring your body, even physically, but definitely mentally, psychologically, emotionally. We're re- reconfiguring. I'm going to adjust my ways to your ways, God. And so I, I think this, and this is just free, I think an altar is a perfect example of worship, even physically. Now, ready for the punchline, I can see. If I make a decision for Jesus, please nobody read into this and say I think I'm saying something I'm not. If I get up from my seat and I walk down there's already a physical, in my, in my estimation, a physical form of worship. I'm, I'm, I'm being public about my decision. I'm walking down. And I'm gonna tell you, uh, and this is my experience and this is what I believe worship teaches. If I'm under conviction of God, not just for salvation, but under God's conviction to do something, make a decision in my life, and I'll get up from a pew and I'll start to walk to an altar, there is something humbling and worshipful about prostrating myself from a place of, I've got it all together, God. Everybody, I'm all right, to, oh, no, I don't. And maybe a tear flows, maybe something happens on the inside, and I get up from a pew, and I get up from my comfort zone, and I walk down, and, I'm, and people are looking at me, and, and it's kind of humbling, and then I see an altar, and, I, and I've seen people do it. I might not even know what it means, and then people get into, oh, let's sit around and think about the altar and how that has devastated the church world for centuries and all this stuff, and, but when they get down and they humble themselves and they get down in a place that it hadn't been in a long, long time, And then you understand that you're submitting to sovereignty. There's something special about an altar. There's something special about getting down on your knees. There's something special about worshiping Jesus that it actually affects us physically to where we do something we wouldn't have normally done. Something special about getting to the place where you can kiss the hand of 
of Jesus, of God. And you don't do that in a pompous, arrogant, I'm good, I'm good enough state of mind. Everybody hear that? I heard it. I heard that one pretty loud there. We don't get to the place where we'll worship him in our arrogance, in our pompacity, in our hardness. It takes some work to get from that place to this place. You say, well, I don't, don't, please don't mess, don't mess up your Christmas. Say, well, I can do that sitting right here. You can. Well, you should. When we respond to God's word and we respond to him in a worshipful way, it ought to affect us. This is, what the, this is what the wise men said they were gonna do. We're gonna worship him. They weren't just going to hang out for the Christmas party. They intentionally went to worship him because he's worthy of worship. So here, here's our lesson. Let's worship him by giving like they did. Oh, Sunday, Christmas, we're gonna talk about giving? You're carnal if your first thought was money. What did they do? They had some special gifts and we know them, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think, I think that even helps my case that they knew what they were doing. Hey, grab some gold. Hey, you got any extra frankincense? Hey, grab some myrrh. Now, I don't think, just like Mary, I don't think they had it all figured out. But I think they knew he was worthy to worship. I think we looking back a few years, we can see the, the royalty and the gold and the, the, the sacrifice to God, the fresh approving sacrifice of the frankincense to God as Jesus being the sacrifice. I think we look back as the burial spice of myrrh. I don't think they had all that figured out, but I know they had some expensive gifts that they were coming to lay at the feet of baby Jesus and worship him. And we should worship him by giving. Um, An Elvis song just popped in my head, ain't that crazy? A Christmas song, it was, you know. The song is, why can't every day be like Christmas? Now somebody else probably sang it, but he made it famous and did it better, right? He's Elvis. (laughs) Why can't every day be like Christmas? Why can't this feeling go on endlessly for if every day would be just like Christmas? What a wonderful world this would be. Y'all don't know that song, Google it after, not right now, it's a good one. (laughs) What if every day was like Christmas? What if we gave, not to each other because we'd go bankrupt, what if we gave to God like it was Christmas all the time? And you've, I've been pastor here going on five years, senior pastor, five years, you've never heard me preach on giving where I just talked about money. I've never done it. I've talked about money, talked about giving money. By the way, we're voting on the budget next week. Let's talk about giving money. Some of y'all called up last week. We had about $30,000 come in. That was pretty good. Thank you. Catch up this week. We'll do better. But when I talk about giving, when God talks about giving, it's far more than money. Because a matter of fact, I know a lot of hard-hearted rich people that can just throw money at God and say, I gave. And there's some people that will do that and say, well, I, that's sufficient. I've given. No, give of yourself. Give of your time. Give of your talents and give of your treasures. Give all to him. It all belongs to him anyway. 
Everything we own belongs to him. He's allowing us to steward it. The breath in our lungs, it belongs to him. He gives, he takes away. Give it to him. Our best and only gift is giving ourselves to Jesus. Let's be like the wise men and give in worship to him. I got more to say there, but that was good enough. Let's worship him not just by giving, but by going. By the way, until we get to the point where we'll give of ourselves, we'll never go. It's the greatest commandment. I'm gonna throw the greatest commandment and the greatest commission together. It's not my notes, but this works. The greatest commandment was asked by Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I know there's a second one. The second one's likened to it, but that doesn't serve my point right now. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. We'll just stop at heart. The New Testament, most often, especially here, when Jesus in Matthew 22 says it's the greatest commandment, with your heart, when you see heart in this passage and in Scripture, it's yourself. The heart represents the center of man. It's everything that you are. And God says the greatest commandment is to worship God with all your heart. He could have stopped there, but he went on to say, everything you are, give it to him. Everything you have, give it to him. I say that and it sounds like, ah, that's preachy. But I always have to come back with a little footnote. This church is a giving church. Not just financially. This church is a giving of your time, of your talents, and your treasures, church. We just, we just did something most people would consider pretty stupid. Two huge events within two weeks. Some of our staff are still laughing, saying it is stupid. We shouldn't have done it. But two huge events. And we had people everywhere serving. And they were both a success. Because people dedicated and gave their time. They gave their talents. And they even gave some money to make it work. There was a whole lot more man hours involved than money hours. That's not really a phrase, but you understand. There's a lot of man hours that went into two major events that we did here. So I'm not fussing at our church. I'm not criticizing our church. We're doing it. Some aren't. Some are sitting back, enjoying what everybody else is doing. Get involved. Give. Worship him by giving. When we give him everything, we'll worship him by going, which is the great commission. We have the great commandment and the great commission. It says what he's told us to do is to go. Go into all the world. Teach them to observe all things that I've commanded. In Matthew 28, when Jesus says go, he's saying as you are going, while you are going, on your way going, what does that mean? Everywhere we go, we're salt and light. Everywhere we go, we spread the good news of the gospel. As the wise men worshiped him by giving, may we worship him by giving ourselves. May we worship him by going and sharing the good news of the gospel that the world needs to hear. Merry Christmas. We have a gift, we have a message to share. People say, what'd you do on Christmas? Well, we opened up some presents, then we went to church, had a birthday party. Opened up a good conversation. I'm not gonna fuss about churches. My wife already told me, I'm to, we arrived by church. Like, what are they doing? They're not going to church today? What's that? 
Mark them. So I'm not going to do that. But what a gospel conversation to talk about church. And the church being pretty much full downstairs this morning. I want to conclude with something different and just kind of, we'll come up and let's sing a song at the end. But I thought, you know, on Christmas and there's so many thoughts, there's so many rampant thoughts and so much going on. And if any word that's been said, it's been gifts, presents, gifts and giving. And it would, it would, it'd be a disaster for us to go to church on Christmas Sunday morning, worship Jesus and not really consider the gift of salvation. I know I've talked about it, we've sung about it, but I'm, I'm not a fool most days of the week. And if odds are true, there's somebody sitting in church on Sunday morning of Christmas Sunday morning and they're as lost as they were last Sunday. And what a disaster it would be to be at church on Christmas celebrating salvation and not be one who has received the gift of salvation. And maybe you've been in church forever. Maybe it's your first Sunday. Maybe it's your sixth time or whatever time here. And maybe for the first time, God's speaking to you and convicting you of your sin and the, the need for salvation. Maybe, and here's what I'm finding, and here's what I believe really as a pastor, as a Christian in the world today. I believe there's so many people that don't understand that salvation was a gift that you had to have. Not something that uh, you, you had to get some way. I mean, it's this earned thing, but it's just, why do you have to have it? Why do you need it? And this gift is just out there. And, and Paul said it, it's the gift of God, not of yourself, not anything you've done. It's God's gift, God's gift of grace and mercy toward you. In John three sixteen, God loved the world so much that he gave the greatest gift. He gave Jesus to the world, that whoever believes in him. And what a tragedy it would be for a person to be sitting in a good Bible-preaching Baptist church on Sunday morning, Christmas, and never have accepted the gift of God, which is eternal life. Amen. And so today, there's a chance for you, an opportunity for you to receive the gift. And then there's another one I want, you to, I want to mention, is the gift to give. I say this usually at, at, at funerals of people that I know are saved based on their testimony in their life. So there's a group of people here today that potentially need to receive the gift. And I just wanna remind us and encourage us that are believers, remind us all of the gift to give. I say it at funerals, I know. But what a tragedy it would be for you to leave here by death and not leave your family with the gift of knowing that you're born again that you're saved. If you're born again and you know it and you're living it, I say this and I mean it. We gave, we've, all of us have given a lot of gifts today to kids and grandkids. But there will be no gift that ever compares to when you draw your last breath, that son or daughter, that husband or wife, that mom or dad, knowing that he or she was born again and to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. All the material gifts will be worthless in comparison to the gift of knowing that you're on your way to heaven or that you're there with the Lord when your time comes. Would you stand with me? It's obviously...
a couple potential responses. If you're here today and you're lost, I believe God's desire is for the world to be saved. I believe he offers the gift of peace to the world. Peace on earth. It's available. Not everybody's going to receive. Not everybody's going to accept. And maybe today would be the day that in the humility and worship of your heart, you acknowledge you need saved. You need salvation. You need to be born again. And you acknowledge you're a sinner. Believe Jesus paid the price for your sin. This baby Jesus that we're worshiping was not just a baby in a manger. He was a savior on the cross. And he rose from the dead victorious by God's power. And maybe today would be the day you do that. And for that second group of people, those of us who know it, we're born again. We're leaving the gift. We're leaving the legacy of he was born again. She was born again. We have the hope of seeing them again, the hope of salvation, the hope that they're with the Lord. As we look and turn the calendar page a few days and even tomorrow, maybe we would begin to focus on living out our witness, proving it, showing it, talking it, walking it, causing some division. I don't want that. Don't, don't talk about that. It will, whether you want to do it or not, it will. But being salt and light. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us of the reality that your son Jesus is sovereign, he's king. And what good news we have to share. What a celebration must have been on the day Jesus was born. And God, we thank you for the celebration that we've experienced today. But as I've said, what a tragedy it would be, God, if there would be a person here today hearing the gospel, maybe even in a church on Christmas morning, but had never received the gift of salvation. I pray today, if that's the case, that man or woman, that boy or girl, would by faith make you Lord of their life, trust in you as Savior, have their lives radically changed today and receive the gift of salvation. Help us believers to walk it and talk it, live it, be salt and light wherever we go, whatever we do. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.